Uh, we're excited about uh, preaching uh, in the book of Philippians. It's one of our favorite books. And uh, as many of you know, um, it is called the Epistle of Joy, uh, written by the Apostle Paul to the Philippians. And joy, I think, is one of those state of beings or experience that we all long for with all of our hearts. Joy revives our spirit, replenishes our inner being. It's, it's really a feeling of delight, soulish delight, produced by the Holy Spirit. Now, that may be what you're experiencing this morning, and that is wonderful. But we've observed in our own lives and in the lives of others that it can be, joy can be very elusive. And there's good reason for this. There are a lot of things that can rob us of our joy. Uh, we're news junkies, and so we do watch all this stuff. And you look at our world globally, the nuclear arms treaty is now a thing of the past, and an arms race is on its way. Climate change threatens to bring catastrophe to our planet. In our own nation, uh, we're still grieving over El Paso and Dayton, and it reminds us it could happen here. There's really no safe place in the United States. And we realize that we live in a divided nation in which anger and discord is the new normal. So Bill was talking about global things, but just even think about your own personal life. There's so many factors that can threaten to rob us of our joy. Maybe you're facing medical problems or the loss of a loved one. Your job alone can give you all kinds of reasons to not have joy, unemployment, um, financial problems, relationship problems, and things we could go on and on. Just yesterday, I was out in my front yard gardening, and my neighbor came up to me and said, I'm going to be at your doorstep next week crying. And I said, why? She goes, because my youngest child is going off to college. I'm going to be empty nest, and I can't stand walking in their lifeless bedrooms. And, you know, life is a series of losses and changing. And so we ask the question, where's the joy? Mm. We believe that the book of Philippians is a gift um, from God to help us find joy, even in the midst of adversity. And what we see in Philippians, this epistle of joy, um, is what it reveals is the depth of, of our experience of joy is inextricably linked to the depth of our personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians, put it simply, is full of Christ and full of joy. 64 times Christ is referred to in this short book, either by name or pronoun. And it's full of joy, 16 times. You saw it, saw it in the passage read today, uh, part of that. Uh, joy, or one of its cognates, is used. We know that from Galatians 5.22, it's a fruit of the Spirit. And it's very linked with God's work of grace in our lives. You Greek scholars know uh, that kara, the word for joy, has the same root as the Greek word for grace, charis. Even charismata, gift, comes from this same root. What is important is to realize that biblical joy is very different than happiness because happiness can go up and down like the stock market depending on what's happening in our lives, how many tariffs are going. By contrast, joy is not contingent on circumstances. Happiness can be induced by external stimulants like drinking, drugs, or opioids. Even an exotic vacation or online shopping can give us a buzz that we're seeking. But joy is a work of the Holy Spirit that comes from within. Joy is a deep contentment, a sense of inner well-being, a security of knowing that we have that deep union with Christ. It's knowing that God loves us and will never let us go and will always give us everything we need to live our Christian faith. 
Joy is the rock-solid assurance that the evil intent of other people or even the devil and Satan cannot thwart God's plans, God's good plan for us. Since 1989, I've uh, read through the Bible with the uh, Murray McShane, Andrew Murray McShane, uh, I can know Robert Murray McShane plan. So every time the book of Philippians comes, comes up, I just drink it in. And one of those reasons is I have a melancholy personality given by the Lord inclined to pessimism. Now, for example, um, as you can clearly see, uh, this glass is half empty. How many of you agree with that? But I married someone very different. How many of you can see this glass is half full? It's almost full, right? It's very full. I'm the opposite. There's a personality study for the congregation. But, yes, uh, yes, yes, yes. Although, although even though he's given to more de depression and anxiety than I am, I've had my nights of, you know, <laughs> sleepless nights and, and tearful days, so I'm not always perky and sunny. But overall, I'm the optimist in the relationship. Yeah. And on a more serious note, and she already alluded to it, I, I have a genetic disp disposition uh, towards depression and anxiety. Uh, it comes right down the line of my family of origin and so forth. And um, that's where Philippians has been very, very special because... Uh, in dark times, uh, dark nights of my own soul, it opens the door of light to me and just brings in um, a peace um, and an experience. And even paradoxically, in the depths of depression, I experience joy because the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, uh, that Lord Jesus of Gethsemane uh, knows where I am, understands me, and is with me through all of this. So we want to bring four ideas to you. Like, how can we experience this joy that we're talking about? And the first idea we want to present to you is by knowing that our salvation is God's work from first to last. Those first uh, verse 11 verses, it says, um, the Apostle Paul has been imprisoned. He's separated from his dear friends in Philippi. He wants to assure these people that even though he's absent and not with them, God is very present in their lives. The God who initiated the work of salvation will bring it to completion I love verse 6 that says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. The late wonderful theologian Alec Motier says, salvation would be a wretchedly unsure thing if it had no other foundation than my having chosen Christ. The human will blows hot and cold, is firm and unstable by fits and starts. It offers no security of tenure, but it is the will of God that is the ground of salvation. The God who inaugurated our Christian experience will bring it to completion. God never gives up on me, but God never gives up on you either. You may be experiencing a spiritual high right now and things are going well in your spiritual life, or you may feel like, honestly, I'm in a funk. Sometimes I think our Christian life can be three steps forward and two steps back. Um, or maybe you're even dealing with a time where God is unearthing a lot of junk in your own life. But I think we can just take heart in the fact that God is going to bring this to completion. And in my 49-year spiritual journey, I've experienced uh, those three steps forward and two steps back. And um, Philippians, uh, Philippians 1, 6 is one of my life verses. It's also been a lifeline. And there have been times with that verse that I've grabbed with two hands, and uh, God does not let me go. There's an interesting little phrase used two times in those first 11 verses. It's so small, you might miss it. It's the day of Christ Jesus. 
This little phrase is found six times in Philippians, and it speaks of the expected return of Jesus Christ. It's the delightful expectation in which our, the day our Heavenly Father is working toward. The Father is getting us ready for this great day. It's like a construction worker who's under contract to, uh, to have a particular job finished by a certain day and continues to work diligently to meet the deadline. So God is under contract to have us ready for the day of Christ Jesus. This is his covenantal promise. We should not only rest in greater comfort knowing that God is getting us ready, but the second great assurance that we see in this text is that all of our events of our life have a purpose. Good news, bad news, medical problems, job layoffs, sports injuries, relationships, programs we applied to and never got into, all of that has a purpose. Someday in the future, we'll be able to look back on the events of our life Mm. and say, without this, I would not Mm. have been ready for the day of Christ Jesus. Mm. So that first reason for experiencing joy in the midst of adversity is knowing that salvation is God's work from first to last. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Second way we can experience joy in the midst of adversity is realizing, realizing that the gospel cannot be shackled. It goes forth. Paul is in prison, but he doesn't dwell, as we can see in this chapter, um, on his lousy conditions or his restricted life. He certainly had plenty to complain about and bellyache about. He was chained to a guard, and he was constantly under surveillance. Yet Paul's highest concern was not his comfort or safety, but the advancement of the gospel and the proclamation of Jesus as Lord and Savior. Christ and his glory were foremost in all of his thinking. We see in the text here how Paul is really trying to strengthen the Philippian church. They were experiencing opposition. You know, we look at this with the lens of like 2,000 years, but remember the church seems so fragile at this time. They were under the threat of Rome's oppressive government. There was no scripture written. They felt really weak and vulnerable. I'm sure they were saying, like, this Christian thing, is this going to last? It just felt so wobbly. Would it be snuffed out? Our leader's in jail. But Paul seeks to reassure them. So the Roman, Roman government, which opposed the preaching of Christ, sought to give Paul a gag order to imprison him, shut him down. But Paul's imprisonment had the opposite intended effect. Instead of squelching the message of Christ, Paul's imprisonment heightened the curiosity of the soldiers guarding him. God in his infinite wisdom placed Paul in a strategic place, a prison, where he could infiltrate, where he could share Christ with those working inside Caesar's household. Now, I think if you were working in a prison and you were a guard and you had an, you know, an inmate that you were supposed to guard, I think the first question you'd ask is, so, buddy, what are you doing time for? Like, what are you here for? What did you get booked for? And then, of course, Paul had many hours to tell why he was there. We see that Paul is captive. He's captive in prison, but he also has a captive audience. I love in Philippians 4, we won't get to this, but at the end of the book, there's all these greetings, and one of them says, all the saints, that's all the Christians, greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. (laughs) Now, I'm sure when they heard that, they were like, wait, what? Conversions in Caesar's household? Paul had been placed there. I'm sure when the Philippians heard that, they probably did, you know, high fives, praise God, or maybe knucks or something, whatever they did back then to celebrate that. But it's so cool that whereas the goal was to shut him down, the truth is they put him in this strategic place and he infiltrates. 
It says in verse 13, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Paul may be shackled, but the gospel cannot be shackled. You know, we were talking before the service with Aaron that this fall I'm going to celebrate 50 years of becoming a Christian. I was at the University of Illinois living in a sorority, going to the bars four nights a week, partying, and God somehow got hold of me. I ended up hearing the gospel, and my life was completely changed. Whereas I'd been majoring in business administration and minoring in computer science, planning to be a systems analyst for IBM, God got a hold of me and said, I want you to go in the ministry. And so I've been in the ministry basically since then. Um, but I think when I see my own life transformed and Bill's as well, mm-hmm. he wandered into a church after an all-night drinking binge. That's another story. But anyway. <laughs> Thanks. But, no, no, that's good. no, no, but the, wait, wait, I should <laughs> that say. That wasn't in the notes. No, no, okay. <laughs> but but wait, okay. he came okay. back 21 years later to become the pastor of yes, that church. So okay. God in redemption. How cool is that? But, you know, one of the things I've loved about being in the ministry for so many years is my mind is a catalog of people's stories. I think about a guy named, I'll call him, I'm not going to give you his real name, I'll call him Joshua. Joshua, that's a nice biblical name. When when I first met him, he was working as a bouncer in a bar. He was not a Christian. He ended up coming to Greek University, becoming part of our ministry. He later, God called him to become a youth pastor. And I said to him, you know, all those hours in the bar dealing with those rowdy people, that was God's preparation to become (laughs) a youth pastor. Yes. And then I think of another woman, I'll call her Jennifer. Um, She told me, you're the only adult, older person I know, who's still married to the same person you originally married. Everyone in my family is divorced and on multiple marriages. She was working at Hooters as a server. She came to faith in Jesus. Her life completely transformed. She's married now, has two children, and she's on a church staff working in the Chicago suburbs. But I think about her life and so many others. I think what I'm convinced at is the power of the gospel Mm -hmm. to transform lives and to change people. And we just see this in the text. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, Paul's ministry in the prison, his chains had a multiplying effect. Instead of making believers more fearful, I may get thrown in jail too, uh, somehow his imprisonment had the impact, it says in the text, of making them bolder in the preaching, another advance for the gospel. You know, Paul somehow has the ability to see his life through the lens of Christ-colored glasses, and he's calling us to do the same. There's a divine perspective that reckons the events of our life differently. Now, Paul may have had some dark days in which he had to process being in jail, why am I here, and all that, but eventually he came to a point where he saw that his imprisonment was not an evidence of God's forgetfulness or impotence or lack of love. He was able to say, I am here by divine mandate. God has placed me in this place because of his divine will. Are we able to see that? Sometimes when we're in adverse situations, it's like, where are you, God? Why are you doing this? Paul somehow had the ability to do that. He saw himself as uh, under God's assignment. We may not always understand why, but we can rest assured that our all-knowing, all-loving Heavenly Father is orchestrating the events of our life. God has placed you where you are by his will, and we can trust in that. I've often found that life makes sense in the rearview mirror. Sometimes you look back on life, and you're like, oh, God, now I see what you were doing. I think of a woman that I met with named Barb who went to a – she was a student, University of Michigan, went to an Urbana missionary convention and felt called by God to go into missions. So I was meeting with her weekly. We met together. We were talking about God's call in her life to be a missionary. Well, meanwhile, she starts dating this guy named Steve. And so we're kind of trying to figure out, like, 
How does this fit in? Because Steve was an engineer with Ford Motor Company in Detroit, had no plans to go overseas. So we kept praying, like, was Steve a gift from God or was he derailing her from missions? And we're, you know, drinking. The devil. Oh, the devil. The devil, yes. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the, uh, we didn't know. We kept drinking coffee and praying and talking. Anyway, she ended up marrying Steve and was the wife of this, you know, man who worked for Ford Motor Company. Well, not long after that, Ford Motor Company said to Steve, we want to transfer you. We want you to work in Germany. We have an operation in Germany. Ford Motor Company in Germany needs you. So they move overseas, and Barb began to be a missionary funded by Ford Motor Company. <laughs> and she was a missionary in a foreign country and living out what that call on her life was like. Mm-hmm. Later she said to me, you know, I, I see God's wisdom. Had I gone over and said to, you know, new people I met, hi, I'm a missionary, be like, okay, I'm not sure I want it. She said, by being married to someone who worked for Ford Motor Company, as soon as we met there, we were immediately invited to parties and had this social network I had so many doors open to me, even neighbors who said, why are you here? Oh, well, my husband works for Ford Motor Company. She said, I see in God's wisdom how wise it was to send me as a missionary through Ford Motor Company. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you see Rome and its oppression. Um, The fact is, though, verses 15 through 18 um, reveal that challenges not only came from outside the faith community, but from within. Apparently, some people were preaching Christ with the intent of stirring up trouble for Paul. Their message may have been doctrinally correct, uh, but their motives were all screwed up. They preached Christ out of self-ambition and envy, engaging in some Paul bashing. Paul doesn't really give us the dirt on these people. Paul doesn't expend a lot of energy and self-protection. He does not call for the people at Philippi to join Paul's side and go after these jerks though I'm sure it was very hurtful and frustrating for him. There's something, frankly, so disillusioning and energy-draining when there's dissension within the body of Christ. We expect it out there, but in here? When we're wrong, sometimes we want to trial a jury and a guilty verdict and an execution. But Paul sees that the gospel has validity and power apart from the imperfect people who proclaim it. Later in the book of Philippians, he'll talk about unity. Next week, in fact, we'll talk about that, unity among Christians. For now, he's shown us what it looks like. He's given us a foretaste of true Christian unity. The important thing is that Christ is preached. That's the big picture, and Paul is willing to absorb personal energy and take the hit uh, for the sake of the gospel. And the question comes for us, how do we relate to other Christians who are critical of us? or even the way we practice our faith. Some of us have been wounded by the church or by other Christians, and we may be recovering right now this morning. Paul de-escalates what could have been a very volatile situation, and he does it by focusing on the big picture. Christ is being preached, and it's so important uh, to focus on that big picture amid all that goes on in the body of Christ. This has been kind of a heavy sermon, so I'm going to lighten it up with a different illustration. Um, Mindy and I have had an an exciting uh, last three months uh, because um, there was an election for a pet mayor in our neighborhood of Edgewater. (laughs) And uh, and, uh, Mindy, very good campaign manager, uh, (laughs) advanced Wrigley into the fray, uh, our Bashan Poodle, and he got in as one of the six candidates. um, And... All these posters were all over Edgewater. Uh, 
So uh, Wrigley had wait, the job. Wait, can I just point out Wrigley? Yeah. Okay, Jill Fager took this picture of Wrigley. Okay, Jill Fager, professional Very photographer. Very dignified. Yeah, you can it's, see it's it. good. It's good. Yeah. But you may want to see an example. Yeah. You of can come her see it later if you want. Wrigley but, for mayor. Yeah. But the deal was, um, it was really a fundraiser. Um, well, first of all, Wrigley was going up against three other dogs, a cat, and a goat, and uh, <laughs> and um, and it was really a fundraiser for um, uh, care for care for real care for real. Yeah. And. Um, and that uh, organization is a nonprofit that really resources people with food, clothing, and some of these people give up their food to feed their pets. So it was building up the pet pantry also. Great cause. And um, it all came down to them. Uh, there were several TV appearances, believe it or not, and, <laughs> and, uh, and personal appearances at various events. But finally it came down to Edgefest uh, last weekend, and they was to announce the winner of this competition. And, um, but what they said at the beginning is, and this thing was wildly successful, uh, the person um, who was uh, doing the MC and said, believe it or not, $20,000 was raised um, for this event. Uh, I should mention it was a buck a vote. And, um, Very could, Chicago well, election. Yeah, you, you could, could vote, buy your yeah, vote. Really, you could buy the, basically, you could buy many, the election. Many times yeah. as you wanted, and you could buy the election. Yeah. So. It was very, very Chicago. But anyway, um, so uh, that, the big picture was $20,000 was raised uh, for uh, Care for Real. Um, but once the, uh, once the pet was announced uh, who won, uh, it was the goat. And, uh, and so the controversy uh, ensued. Uh, first of all, uh, the, although, though the owner owned a business in Edgewater, the goat didn't live there. That was one issue. Um, yeah. <laughs> secondly, secondly, uh, the goat we, we found out utilized a GoFundMe uh, online mechanism. Uh, you might call it uh, uh, Goat Fund Me, but sorry. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway, um, and some people felt like in one of the mayor, uh, pet mayoral debates, uh, he'd been a bit, a bit gruff butting in and things like that. But all right, all right, that's it, that's it. But anyway, so um, here's the deal. People upset about the goat. Lost track, uh, us too. But anyway, uh, <laughs> lost track of the fact that $20,000 were raised for uh, people in our neighborhood um, and far beyond anybody's expectation. So that's a long way of saying <laughs> uh, Paul had the big picture. Um, he had the big picture of mind. Christ was being preached. And so your takeaway is the big picture is $20,000 got raised for Care for Real. Right. So it, it's okay that Wrigley didn't win. We're, yeah. we're okay. We're okay. All right, moving R us. Wrigley isn't. But Wrigley's still okay. dealing with grief. I've got <laughs> Seriously, I have neighbors dropping by to give me condolences. I'm not kidding. I'm not. Anyway, back to the text. The third way we can experience joy in the midst of adversity is by viewing life and death through God's perspective. 19 through 26, Paul speaks of his longing for Christ to be exalted in his body by life or death. He can look at death squarely in the face. Life and death are both positive options. And he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What a verse. Yeah. Uh, his dilemma is not Hamlet's depressing to be or not to be. That's the question in which Hamlet weighs the alternatives of, su of suicide or being put to death by those who oppose him. Paul is so utterly convinced of the glorious future that awaits him and all believers in heaven they, he can say death, frankly, would be the better option to depart and be with Christ. 
is better by far. Yet he knows that his continuing here on earth is important for those he ministers to, so he's torn. But this rock-solid conviction that upon death he will be ushered into the full and wonderful presence of God gives him gutsiness. Uh, he can live life with abandonment, with courage, and with valor. So a little story to illustrate that from our life. So Bill, as many of you know, is an avid sports fan, especially the Cubs and Illinois sports. So he's one of those fans that when he watches on TV, he's very vocal. You know, he'll yell like, put in Peterson if somebody misses a free throw. You couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. He's very vocal when he watches sports. I lose my sanctification. He, he loses. Anyway, anyway <laughs> the Holy Spirit is there, but, but it's not evident. But anyway, <laughs> but, but okay, so we had a guy live with us from Bangladesh named Babla who had come, and he was just fresh from Bangladesh. So many things culturally in America were odd to him. But he, Bill was watching the TV, and he was yelling, as he always does. And so Bobble said to me, Mindy, who is Bill talking to? And I said, Bill is talking to the coach. And Bobble thinks for a minute. He goes, can the coach hear him? I said, no, the coach can't hear him. And then he says, so why does he do that? And I said, Bobla, I don't know. He just does, you know. <laughs> so I'm watching Bobla. Bob, Bobla's watching Bill. Bill's watching TV. Okay. So then not long after that, Bill was watching the Illini, and I look at the TV, and I think, oh, no, they're down by 10 points. He's going to be in a bad mood. And then I realize the guy goes up for a free throw, and he misses, and Bill's just sitting there very calmly. I said, honey, are you okay? He goes, yeah, I'm fine. And I notice he's just abnormally calm. So I'm like, okay, what's going on? The Illini are down. The guys are missing free throws. You're not yelling at the TV. What's going on? Bill said, oh, this is a recording from last night. I already know that they won. They won the game. So when they're down, I'm not flipping out. So, okay, what's my point? I feel like if you and I had an utter convincing stranglehold on the fact of the reality of heaven, we knew for sure our destiny in heaven, we would be able to deal with some of the bounce in difficulties of life, because we would, our destiny would be certain. Finally, Philippians 1 teaches us the fourth way uh, we can experience joy in the midst of adversity is by experiencing the power of community when adversity strikes. He first says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's the first imperative of the book, first command given to the listeners. But to live in such a way in adversity that your credit to the message of Christ, your conduct, your way of life really preaches to a watching world. So there's this emphasis on unity. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Listen to this. So that when I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the gospel. This unity that Paul speaks of has a purpose Christian community should be a place to love and be loved, to know and be known. But when we are characterized by diversity, and yet we have this unity, we validate the claims of Christ. A Christian community should be a source of strength to us when we're in the midst of adversity. And it says also it's been granted to you not only to believe on Christ, but also to suffer for him. That's a hard thing. But suffering is not an evidence of divine forgetfulness. It's rather proof that we're really his, and believers will experience the hostility of the world. We share in Christ's suffering now, but we'll share in his glory later. Suffering relates to unity in that we are meant to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. 
Have you ever noticed that how God is sometimes so close to you mm. when you're going through suffering? And also there can be a certain union and a fellowship of suffering that is great. We are never intended to do life mm. alone. We need each other, and we especially have to hang together in times of adversity. Mm. Bill and I kind of saw this lived out, believe it or not, when we went out to California with our children. And we Anybody went been to Mirror Woods? Mirror Woods. Who's been to Mirror Woods and seen those? Yes. Wonderful. Okay. You know those ginormous trees. They are literally 300 feet tall. The trunk is the size of a small house. They're so big. But we were there, and we were listening to this botany guy give a lecture on these trees. We weren't really part of that group. But you know how you can go over and just kind of hear anyway? We do that. Anyway, so we were listening to this tour, and the guy said, these trees are ginormous. What's very interesting about these trees is the root system is only 12 feet deep, which is extremely shallow. For a tree of that magnitude, he said if one of them were in the woods, the winds would blow it over because the root system is so shallow. He said, but the roots are shallow, but they go way out, like 100 feet. And he said they develop this tangled web underground. All these trees underneath our feet have this tangled mesh web of root system. So when the winds blow, they literally hold each other up. And Bill and I looked at each other and were like, Word Sermon picture for community, right. <laughs> Sermon illustration for community. And, and, that is, and that is how we should be. We should be so intertwined that we literally hold each other up in the storms of life. Well, as we bring this message to a close, what's God's invitation to you this morning? Maybe you're discouraged in your journey with Christ, and you need to lay hold of that wonderful truth, truth that he who began a good work at you will bring it to completion. Maybe you're feeling pessimistic about the power of the gospel to advance and have an impact in this post-Christian world in which we live. And God is reminding you that this gospel is powerful um, and cannot be, cannot be shackled. Maybe God's invitation to you is to really embrace that for me to live in Christ is, is uh, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Maybe you need to think and meditate, even do some studying on heaven. And when you get a grip on the ultimate destiny, where you are headed, you'll have that courage and valor that we're talking about. Maybe some of you are going through hard times and you need the support of the faith community. Maybe you feel like that one tree that doesn't have the root system of those around you. Perhaps God's invitation to you is to open up, tell someone what you're struggling with. Maybe even get prayer today. But God is there for you. Hmm. We'd like to just close in prayer now. Lord Jesus, you... Uh, know the hearts of each person here. You know their needs. You've prayed, Lord Jesus, uh, in your high priestly prayer that we would have your joy to the full. And I pray that in the midst of, of adversity that we would experience that. We pray all this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.